we're going to look at the back end of verse 4 of Psalm 23. We looked last week into the valley of the shadow of death and we found that all the valleys that we can go through in our lives, that we do indeed walk through them. Yeah. We're not promised as Christians that we're going to live a life in a bubble. We are human beings like our fellow man, even those that don't believe. And the scripture says that God causes the rain to pour or to fall upon the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And the same with the sun. God feeds all people, whether they love him or whether they hate him. And so that is the goodness of God. And, but we have those times in the valleys, don't we? We could go around this whole place and everybody could give probably countless amount of struggles and circumstances and valleys and darknesses that you've been through yeah. and may currently be in. Which ultimately, that greatest place of the valley is that valley that we find ourselves when we pass from this life to the next. However, for us as saints, if we are indeed saints tonight, which is clearly sanctified ones, being sanctified and are sanctified by God. If we are saints tonight, it's but a shadow. That's what it says. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I shall fear no evil. What is death to you and me? Yeah. But the promotion to kingly glory. With the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, where there'll be no dark valleys anymore, where there'll be no unrest and sin. You won't have to fight any longer with that passion that rises within you. And it's quite a strange thing to me, as a thought process, why so many of us fear it. And I've been asked myself, do you fear death? And honestly, I've got to say, death itself, no. The way it might happen, that might cause me more concern. But we have nothing to fear, for we're in his hands, and it's but a shadow. And we walk through that valley, and Christ there will meet us. There's a song, isn't there? I can't remember. When, when, I, when I tread uh, the... Is it the... Um... Yes, that's the verge. That's the word I was looking for, the verge of Jordan. It's often referred to in songs, isn't it? The Jordan. We've got to cross that Jordan. And in the Pilgrim's Progress, that's, he kind of has to cross that great river where he finds himself drowning, doesn't he? But then he comes through it. And that was his death. That was a valley. So, yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's why we don't fear. Because God has promised to be with us for forever and a day. We're not without him now. And we won't be without him in eternity. But then we come to this statement, which we will look at today. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So let's carry on in this hymn of comfort, this hymn of confidence. And the Lord, immeasurable care, the rod and staff of the great chief shepherd, they serve, as it says, to bring comfort to his sheep. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. And in Hebrews 12, 6 and 7, who, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son 
whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? If you're a parent, you need. Why is it you're chasing your children? Is it because you want to show them you're the boss and you're in charge and you're in control and you do as I say or else? No, it's because you love them. Because you want the best for them and you know that what they're doing and what they're involved in is not the best. And you want to cause them to change. You want them to see. And so you lead, you guide guide them. And sometimes that means there has to be a bit of chastisement and discipline. Because we love them. And God does the same for his children. And he says, if you continue in that context there in Hebrews 12, that any that aren't disciplined are actually illegitimate children. Which is an interesting statement itself. So it is an absolute that a loving father, for the greater good of his children, disciplines and chastens them. Absolute, isn't it? A loving father chastens and disciplines his child. Albeit, you know, imperfectly. So then our Father in heaven scourges and chases those whom he dearly loves. And as the scripture says, he chastises us for our profit. For what reason? Hebrews 12.10 That we may be partakers of his holiness. That's why he chastens us, that we may be partakers of his holiness. So we can also note that a shepherd finding a wandering sheep will undoubtedly take his crook, his stick, the staff, the rod, the scepter, as we read this morning. The crook, you know, has got a hook on the end. He might take that to a wandering sheep and he'll place the curved end around the sheep and he will draw it back from danger. When it finds itself in the snares of isolation. When it strays too far from both the shepherd and the fold. That's what he does. Although for the certain good of the sheep, due to its wandering, the return to safety may take some nudging, may take some straight guidance by the rod and the staff that's in the shepherd's hand. But if we are to keep in the context of this psalm and the verse itself in which we are looking, we struggle to see that chastisement is here meant. Is it talking about chastisement when he says your rod and staff, they comfort me? We know that the rod is often spoke about with regards to chastisement and discipline. But is that really what here is primarily meant? Certainly involves it, but is it primarily that which is meant? Verse 4 speaks of our walking through the valley of death, which not only deals with the death of the saints alone, but all those dark valleys for which we've already spoken about. And David speaks in this psalm of fearing no evil in these valleys. Why? Because God is with him. And added to this display of confidence is the rod and the staff that the shepherd has that they bring comfort. They bring comfort. Hebrews 12.11 says, No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but it's painful. 
Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, absolutely, and rightly so, and it's a good thing. But we see that chastisement from God ultimately yields those peaceable fruits of righteousness, but for that time you receive it, it's not joyful. It's actually quite painful. Sometimes you can be asking questions about where is God in all of this? But in this text that we're dealing with, we read only of fearing no evil and comfort. So I don't see that this particular reference to the rod and staff here is directly to do with chastisement and discipline. Because he speaks of fearing no evil. There are some people in this room that have spoken to me about receiving the cane at school. I missed that by maybe some years. But nobody looks to the cane that the teacher holds and looks at it with joy. And actually may look at it with some trepidation and fear. So when we look at these verses and we see about not fearing and comfort, it's hard for us to say that there's the rod of discipline meant. So let's take a brief look then at the rod and the staff which bring comfort. The rod, Psalm 110, verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. The rod of your strength out of Zion. It says there that the Lord said to my Lord, Jehovah said to Adonai, or we could say the Father says to the Son, the Lord Jehovah shall send the rod of your Christ's strength out of Zion. The rod is called the rod of Christ's strength. A branch it is. A scepter, a royal staff is what it is. That's what he is termed here in Psalm 110. The Lord shall send the rod of your... He's speaking the Lord, who is the Father, is speaking to the Son. So he's saying to him that this, this is the rod of your strength. The rod of Adonai's strength. The rod of the Son's strength, which is Christ. This is what it's called. A royal staff, a royal scepter. Psalm 45 verse 6 says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So the scepter of righteousness, the rod of Christ's strength, is no other than the gospel. The gospel which is the power of God unto salvation. This is Christ's strength. That's what it says. The rod of your strength, the rod of Christ's strength, is no other than the gospel. What greater comfort is there when we walk through those dark valleys or come to our final, final moments? What greater comfort is there than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Whether you believed it for more days than you can remember. 
or whether on that final time of moments like the thief on the cross where you suddenly realise it's always been Christ. This man is innocent. We justly deserve what we punish. Lord, remember me. Remember me. And you come into paradise. And what did Jesus say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. So in them final moments, what greater comfort is there than the gospel of Jesus Christ? There is no greater comfort. In this rod of Christ, strength is the forgiveness of sin. It's done, it's dusted, it's over with. When Christ forgives us, the, 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 the scripture says, doesn't it? I think it's John chapter 8, but it says, If the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. No more to remember those sins. Romans 7 verse 18, they're told there that the flesh, or in the flesh, there is no good thing. That we are at enmity with God. And therefore cannot in our flesh in any way ever please him. I don't know if we ever quite grasp this, you know, as people. The way we live, the way we think at times. You know, I think about what I'm doing right now, standing here preaching this, this word. God's called me to do it. Does this gain me favours? Is this going to make me more palatable to the gates of heaven? Absolutely not. I'm going to enter heaven the same way as anybody else. That is through Christ and his blood. What we do here does not make any difference in the sense of whether we're accepted before God. We're accepted before God because of Christ and him crucified. The works that we do, we do because of what he's done. It doesn't earn us any brownie points. So we are at enmity with him in our flesh. And there is nothing good in us whatsoever. And we can't please him. As lost humanity who have fallen so far in trespasses and sin, we're spiritually dead. We know this, don't we? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 tells us so. We're spiritually dead. We're dead in trespasses and sin. And we're under sin's dominion. Under its power. We're slaves to it. And we haven't got any hope in this world. Without this gospel. That is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 5 verse 20 says. But where sin abounded. And sin abounds doesn't it. Greatly so. Let's not look outside our doors and windows. Let's look at ourselves. Sin abounds. But the Bible says. In this verse. Romans 5 verse 20. Where sin abounded. Grace abounded much more. Grace is so great as a sin. So much more powerful. Again, Romans chapter 1 verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed. This is Paul. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is Christ's strength. Hebrews 4 verse 12, 
Speaking of the Word of God, he says the Word of God is living. It's alive and it is powerful <coughs> and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This Word of God, friends, can terrify you. It can pierce down into your soul in places that you don't even know are there. To the darknesses, to the hidden sin. People can walk in who are as hard as nails and can be split in two by this word of God. That's what we want to pray for, isn't it? That the hardest of hearts, like the rock that Moses hit with the staff, will split. The word of God is powerful and it divides and it searches out. Think about that verse in uh, Corinthians 14. It speaks about, speaking of prophecy, but when you look into prophecy, we understand that the prophetic preaching of the word is meant. And he says that those that come in, he's talking about the differences between tongues and prophecy, but he says, when they come in and they hear that, they'll be broken and they'll get down on their knees and cry out to God. That's my paraphrase. But that's what it says. And this is what the word of God does. It is the power of God unto salvation. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. So as the rod is the gospel, the scepter of righteousness, it must of necessity include the spirit of God. For the word of God is the sword which the spirit yields. Ephesians 6 verse 17, the spirit wields the sword which is the word of God. And as we read above in that Hebrews verse 4.12, the sword, the word, sorry, is the two-edged sword, which is sharp. And it is the Holy Spirit that pierces men through. Listen, I can preach the gospel. I can preach from this word. We can, we can do all that we can possibly do, humanly speaking. But if the Spirit of God does not attend it, if he doesn't apply it, if he doesn't pierce men through... And no matter how I emphasise it, no matter how animated I become, no matter how good an orator I may or may not be, it's only when the Spirit of God attends the Word that it pierces through the hard, stubborn, rock-like hearts of men. And it engraves, engraves the Word on men's hearts. Our hearts are so hard that it takes a strong tool to do so. Spirit of God upon the word. The Lord Jesus also calls the Spirit the Comforter four times in the Gospel of John. You can have a look for yourself. I've got the scriptures if you want them. Four times he calls the Spirit of God the Comforter. He is the Comforter, isn't he? I shall give to you, I shall send to you the Comforter. Because he was going. But it was better that he went. So that the comforter could be given to us. Not only that we could stand side by side with Christ. But that he would live in us. By his spirit. And the staff then. We look at Leviticus 27, 32. Looking at the rod and looking at the staff. Leviticus 27 verse 32 says. And concerning the tithe of the herd of the flock. Of whatever passes under the rod. The staff. The tenth of one shall be holy to the Lord. 
This is where they used to count the sheep as they came out of the fold. And they had the staff that hovered over them and he'd count. And every tenth one was taken aside as it went, as it passed through underneath the, the staff. The tenth one was taken as the tenth, the tithe. So the rod and the staff actually in this psalm can be seen as an amalgamation of the same thing. But as the rod represents the royal scepter of righteousness, the word of God, the gospel, the staff or the crook, as it can be known, due to its hooked top, gives much comfort also. Adam Clark, speaking of this, says, It seems to be in reference to this custom that the prophet Ezekiel, speaking to Israel, says, I will cause you to pass under the rod and will bring you into the bond of the covenant. You shall be once more claimed as the Lord's property and be in all things devoted to his service, being marked or ascertained by special providences and manifestations of his kindness to be his peculiar people. And then John Gill says this, the mercy of God in the remission of sin, in which the psalmist trusted. The illusion is to the shepherd's crook or the staff, as in other places, which was made use of for the telling and numbering of the sheep. And it is no small comfort to the sheep of Christ that they have passed under his rod, who has told them, and that they are all numbered by him. Not only their persons, but the very hairs of their head, and that they are under his care and protection. The shepherd, with his rod, his staff, or his crook, directs the sheep where to go, pushes forward those that are behind, and fetches back those that go astray, as well as drives away dogs and wolves and bears, that they would make a prey of the flock. And of such use is the word of God attended with the power of Christ and his spirit. It points out the path of faith, truth and holiness that the saints should walk in. It urges and stirs up those that are negligent to the discharge of their duty. And is the means of reclaiming backsliders. And of preserving the flock from the ravenous wolves of false teachers. In a word, the presence of the power and the protection of Christ in and by his gospel and ordinances are what are here intended and which are the comfort and safety of his people in the worst of times and cases. There is sweetness to these words. But he talks about presence, he talks about power and he talks about protection. I just want to read to you a few scriptures on each of these. Regarding the presence Matthew 1, verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. God is with us. His presence is with us. John 14, verse 17. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you. And will be in you. It's a promise of God. With all those that are his. He gives them the spirit of God. 
as the down payment, the earnest of that future inheritance. He shall be with you and shall be in you. How much closer, how much more presence can you get than the Spirit of God that dwells inside you, with you and in you? And then lastly, again, the verse I've quoted a number of times recently, Matthew 28, 20. Christ promised before he ascended to the disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a promise. God doesn't break his promises. With regarding the power, we've had the presence, now the power. Psalm 20, verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And 1 Corinthians 6.14 God has both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. He is a powerful God. He saves with his mighty right arm. The message of the cross is powerful. And he also promises that as he raised up our Lord Jesus Christ, it says in Romans, doesn't it, the same power that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead shall raise you and you'll give power to your mortal bodies. He has raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Protection, 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 3. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. 2 Timothy 2, sorry, 2 Timothy 4, 18. The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And lastly, Psalm 121, 7 and 8. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from his time forth and even forevermore. Power, protection and presence. Protection is wonderful. You're preserving. But I want you to see there that he says that he shall preserve your soul. And say that he'll preserve your body. Not this one. You know, we will be given a new body. One of incorruptibility. Where this one is absolutely corrupt. And yeah. hence why we all are aging and dying, which was that which was told Adam, you've eaten from this tree. From dust you are, from dust you return. To dust you return. And that's what we all are from the moment we're born. And we're going that way. And going back towards the dust. But God promises for those who love him. That I will preserve your soul. What is it that goes to Christ at the end of our days? Our soul isn't it? And then there will come a day. When that day will be. How long it is. Who knows. When we pass from this life to the next. We'll be with Christ. But there will come a day where he gives us a new body. So he is. I just want to read the bottom of that bit again where Gil said this. In a word, the presence, power and protection of Christ in and by his gospel and ordinances 
are what are here intended by the rod and staff, and which are the comfort and safety of his people in the worst of times and cases. God is faithful. We'll be looking at that last Tuesday, and we're going to finish it this Tuesday. God is absolutely faithful. God is absolutely trustworthy. He is the shepherd of his sheep. He isn't one of those hirelings it speaks about in John chapter 10, who for money guides the sheep, but he doesn't care for those under his charge. And when those the danger uh, that lurks comes his way, when those wolves or those beasts come, he leaves the sheep to fend for themselves because he cares about his life more than theirs because all he is is a hireling. You pay me to look after them, but my life's worth more than theirs, so I'm bolting at the first sign of trouble. Christ is not like that because he's not a hireling. The sheep are not just somebody who's been given to look after, but they are his own. Think, think about what he says about David. When he's speaking before Saul, trying to convince him that he can go out in front of Goliath. He said, I've been out in the fields, minding my father's sheep. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Christ, minding the sheep that the father gave him. But David, even David, who was looking after his father's sheep, he pulled the lambs out of the, the mouths of wolves and bears and lions. Because he was... A prefigure, a pre-type of the Lord Jesus Christ. A sheep are his own, his possession, under his care, protected by his mighty right arm. No bandit, no thief, no beast, nor any foe has any power to take them from him. The earth is his footstool. The elements obey his command. Waters flood or recede at the whisper of his voice. The word of his mouth is a two-edged sword and his eyes like a flaming fire. At his presence the mightiest warrior falls to their face in utter weakness. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we have the comfort of his rod and his staff. The gospel, his power, his presence, and his protection. The Lord, the shepherd of his people. This is who we speak. <coughs> yes, he chastises us. And if we're true sons, he will do so. But here he speaks of comfort. Here he speaks of having no fear. This is our shepherd, who we love as we read through this hymn. This psalm of David, the sweetness of who he is, should be that ointment that covers our heart and our minds, our souls, with love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful psalm. And I ask you, Lord, that you might help us to never forget what is contained in it. May you open our eyes, Lord God, to the wonders that we see in such psalms as these. The Lord, the shepherd of his people. Lord, would you cause us to have a hunger for this word? Would you cause us to open this word, not only in 
church when we're together, Lord, but may it be that food, that sustenance, that nourishment without which, Lord, that we can't, we can't live. Make us like the, the heart in Psalm 42, the heart that pants after the water brook. Lord, as the song says, so my soul longs after you. Make it, make it be, Lord, that we long after you tonight. May it be that we look upon such words and not see that this is just Psalm 23 that's so famous, so well known, even to the ungodly. They may even be able to recite it, some of them. But Lord, make it be true food to our souls. Make it be, make us read these things and be in wonder and awe of the God of heaven and earth, the shepherd, the one who has condescended to save his sheep, to keep them close to him, to guide them, to, to protect them, to, to look after them with his right arm and his power, to love them, to be with them through the valley of the shadow of death, to cause us to have comfort rather than fear because you're with us. Oh Lord, may it be so. Cause us not to be those people, Lord, who just live this life and give lip service to you. May it be real. Lord, if any of us tonight, including myself, if we're not real, Lord, either weed us out or change us, we pray. Make us real, Lord. Make us be Christian men and women in this generation. Yeah. Oh Lord, we need to be lights. Lights of the world. Oh, that's what you called us. Help us, we pray, Lord. Receive our prayer. Receive the glory from our lips, Lord. Receive our praises. Receive our thanks. And we ask it for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.